Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. In this week's episode, I chat with presenter Greg Summers. I was keen to have him on the podcast to impart his wisdom on what makes a great public speaker and why he believes the art of good conversation and communicating effectively is something we can all master. I thoroughly enjoyed our chat. Greg's positivity and zest for life is contagious. So I hope you're left feeling inspired after listening to this episode. Enjoy. Hi, I am here with Greg Summers. Greg, can you introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do? Um, my name is Greg Summers. I am 46. I'm a father of two young men who are now 18 and 20. I think I need to say that because it's a big part of my life. Of course and, it is, yeah. Um, so rather than me just talking about what I do, they're a big part of what I do. So father of two young men and I have a lot of interests like you, Lisa. I've got a lot of interests in life and um, I'm trying to focus on, I suppose, a couple as I move forward. Um but I suppose primarily I am a presenter and presentation trainer and in my spare time I would say I am a positive community activist helping to improve my community and hopefully inspire other people to look at improving this. So way back when, when you started the life in the working world, yeah. what did you do? Eh, jeez, oh. Um, <laughs> I remember when I left school which was, well, I suppose to go way back to when, which which maybe paints the picture a wee bit better. When I was two years old, my mum passed away, and that had an incredible effect on my life. Um, I had a very happy childhood, but it was quite disrupted as well, because mm-hmm. I suppose if one of your parents passes away, and if it's your mother, it, it creates a, a very strong, lasting impression on your life. So as a result of that happening, my childhood was quite chaotic. And I suppose as a result of that, I never really excelled at school as well as I could have because there was a lot of disruption, there was different schools, there was a one parent who was trying to get by, which resulted in me not really enjoying school and not fulfilling the potential that I could have had, should have two parents. It may well have been that. I could have been something a lot different to what I turned out to be. But I think that had a big impact on my education, which yeah. inevitably led me to not really have a strong interest in secondary ed- education, which meant I left pretty underqualified, um, which meant that I left when I was 17. I remember staying on in sixth year just because you get an extra 40 quid a week or something. I wasn't interested <laughs> in the education. I was just interested yeah. in the, the partying and having fun. But I left school about 17, and I had a, a variety of maybe 40, 45 jobs over a period of two or three years from pizza delivery to working in shops. I was always very good at speaking so I could get in I could nail interviews. Yeah. No Gift problem. To the gap. So anytime I went for an interview I got the job. I I, I genuinely um, I, I don't mean that to sound <laughs> rude, but I, I, I believed I absolutely believe you. <laughs> I believed that I could go for any job and pretty much get it. Because yeah. I could talk my way through and I always thought I'm not bad at talking. Um so I I just did so many jobs. And then at one point I when I got about 20, I thought, I developed quite a strong social conscience and I thought, well, I want to do something a bit different in my life. So I studied um, social work and I became a qualified social worker and I worked in a children's home 
um, in Rutherglen, between Rutherglen and Castlemount for about five years, working with some of the most deprived families and de- mm-hmm. deprived and brutally affected young people you could ever imagine. And that mm-hmm. was that was an incredible eye opener. And what I noticed while working in that environment was that there were so many damaged people who were damaged, but there were so many damaged people trying to care for damaged people. Mm-hmm. Because I think what happens a lot in the kind of social work world is that many people who have a bad experience want to give back yeah. by giving to others. And the whole environment was just very, very chaotic. Mm-hmm. And but I had a lot of fun with it. I, I used to just enjoy hanging out with the kids and having a laugh and playing football and bringing a bit of... Rather than talking about how to improve their lives, I thought, I'm going to go and play football with them, yeah. take them to Loch Lomond, have a laugh, jump about, have fun. And I'd done that till I was about 25. And then I met my missus and um, she very, very quickly fell pregnant and we were in a flat in the south side of Glasgow and she didn't want to work and I thought, I thought I can't do this if I am, um, I genuinely can't do this on a, a social worker's wage, yeah. I just can't do it. And I thought, well I've got some money, I've got some shares, I thought I'm just going to cash in my shares and uh, buy some DJ equipment. I always knew that I could speak on a mic. I, I just knew it. Mm-hmm. I remember I was at my sister's going away party at Australia and um, I, I took over from the DJ and I was like, this is easy. Give me that mic. This is a doddle. <laughs> and um, I bought some I bought some equipment. I had a very limited uh, selection of music and I started gigging. And from there, I just um, I DJed and DJed and DJed and inevitably, be, inevitably because I spoke quite well and I was always good at working an audience, mm-hmm. I started doing more and more events that required someone to speak rather mm-hmm. than just play tunes. And um, I'd done a bit of work in radio and I DJed for between probably relentlessly between 1999 and 2010. I mean, I'm proper all over, all the time, yeah. everywhere from America, Russia, um, all over the UK. And then around, around about 2010, 2011, I thought. Everyone knew me as Greg Summers, the DJ. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm more focused on speaking. I speak better. And, and I realised at that point, around about 2011, that you can do better if you rebrand yourself. And I, I took away the two letters DJ and mm-hmm. replaced it with presenter. And initially what that allowed me to do was not cart about loads of gear, turn up at an event, take the microphone and be paid better. Um, and I cultivated... I suppose a bit of a name by just being a presenter Fantastic. and then again I, I worked all over I mean it's, it, there's, there's not enough time to describe <laughs> the, the amount of bizarre gigs you do well that's what I was going to ask you about memorable Aye. gigs I mean there must just be a catalogue of oh, this goodness. one time <laughs> Aye. I remember there was some things that stuck out I remember um, I spoke I shared this story recently I was about maybe 2006 2007 I used to DJ in a, uh, a hotel in Kilsyth, just mm-hmm. outside where I live, in Milton Campsie. And what inevitably would happen is if you turned up at gigs, they would normally start about, you'd set up your gear from 6, 6.30 onwards, the gig would start at 7.30. So I'd set up my gear and the, the, the folk from the 40th party were just arriving. There was a bit of a, a bit of a stramash happening at the back of the room. I remember looking up thinking, there's something unusual happening here. This, this is now... It was all just a bit mm. tense. The fire exit got open and people were looking a bit stressed. And the guy whose 40th it was came up to me and he said, listen, Greg, my um, uncle said a bit of an incident at the back of the room. He said a heart attack. We're oh, waiting wow. in the ambulance. I thought, oh, wait a minute, this is... 
anyway, came back up to me and he, he said, listen, unfortunately, he's just passed away. Oh my he's dead. goodness. And um, I thought, jeez, oh, I thought, I'm really sorry to hear that. And I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Uh-huh. And then a few minutes later, the ambulance arrived and took him away and he came up to me and he said, you know what? I think what we've got to do here is respect my uncle and I don't think he would have wanted the party to end, so let's just crack on. And I was like, are you serious? And he said, oh. <laughs> so. so I remember about half ten. I kid you not, the place absolutely rocking. Mm-hmm. I have ten quarter to eleven. The dance floor is absolutely bouncing, and I was playing the Bee Gees, staying alive. And everyone's <laughs> on the dance floor, hands in there, getting down, dancing. <laughs> Times you just had events where there was mass brawls, mass barneys, and I remember there was one event early when I was starting DJ, and there was a huge fight, massive fight. And I thought I've just got to keep the music playing here because mm-hmm. if you turn it off, it'll get worse. Uh-huh. And it just ensued. I just remember looking across this bowling club and there was guys smashing other guys heads on the tables there was you know there was a guy on top of the bar screaming at people there was women in the toilet screaming for it to stop it was honestly it was like a proper old style cowboy barn dance brawl that you'd see in a movie it was insane and I remember and amongst all this wee women come up to me she must have been in all sorts <laughs> and she said excuse me son have you got Ronan Keaton life as a roller coaster <laughs> And I was like, are you serious? I was just, it was just a wee face like, have you got Ronan Keaton's right? Totally oblivious. Life is a roller coaster. <laughs> but that amongst um, amongst other things, there was loads of, over a period of time of both DJing and presenting, there was so many memorable events, so many interesting people. One of the things that's really interesting mm. about the entertainment industry, even if you're at the bottom level of the rung, which is where I was for a very, very long time, it still enabled you to open doors that you could just mm-hmm. never ever, ever, you know Lisa, that you'll get hired for an event where you will go along and you will have to on stage interview the First Minister and inevitably you'll get in, you'll, you'll get ever bladder with Nicola Sturgeon yeah. and as a result of that now I, I get hired for events whereby I'm hired directly by Sir Tom Hunter who's the richest wow. man in this country and he says Greg can you host the kilt walk for us year after year after year and you personally get to know these people fantastic you get to know them they begin to develop not a very close friendship but you get to know them of course you get to know them really yeah, really well so you have their ear um, it's whether or not you choose to try and do something when you know people of influence mm-hmm. and um, maybe in time that will happen I don't know but the entertainment industry what's incredible about entertainment is that people looking at a stage and looking at a TV and looking at a film screen more often than not, think that these people they're looking at are incredibly inspirational. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, they're not. They're really, they're, they're good, they're nice people. They're mm-hmm. good people. They are, um, they have interesting stories, but inspirational and inspiring, no. And I've got to be honest when yeah. I say that. The most inspirational people that I've met have been, you know, the, there's one guy I know called Pat Bannon who runs a community gym in Coat Bridge where he devotes his life to inspiring people to get fit, he's 71 years old, he runs a community gym whereby he opens his doors free to the unemployed, gives of his time whole wholeheartedly for nothing and those are the people that have yeah, inspired of course. me um, mm-hmm. and I think that's really interesting for folk who maybe listen to this and I imagine that most a lot of people would probably have that view anyway. Um, well I guess like for, for myself like going to events, it, like you say it's not necessarily the people that are up there doing the entertaining. It's the it's the people that we meet along the way at events who come up to us and congratulate us on the job that we've done, and then you 
start to have a bit of a conversation and ask them about themselves and then you find out you know the stories that they've got and the things that they've done in their life that's yeah. where I get most inspired by people mm-hmm. who are just just normal people just chatting yeah. but being a performer opens that door for you to, to, to talk to people that you probably never ever talked to absolutely and um, but it is I mean my experiences have been the majority of people that I have met 95 96 97% of people in the entertainment industry and whether it be bands they're all good nice people yeah and when you do meet someone that is probably a bit of a diva or is a bit up themselves, they're probably being like that because they're just a bit stressed during mm-hmm. that day. Absolutely. Because most people, most people are good. Most people yeah. are nice. Most yeah. people are. People's you know, insecurities and stress come out in various ways. If someone's a really rotten day, they they can sometimes just show it stupidly, and then as a result of that, people can think that's what defines them as a person. Yeah, and in and most really cases, doesn't. it's not. So in terms of um, the training side of your public speaking, how did that come about? What made you make the move into well, that? what happened was, um, I suppose as you get a bit older and a bit more mature, I, I spent, it's from 2011 I started focusing on presenting. And I remember in 2015 I was at an event in Edinburgh. And at the end of it, a guy came up to me who ran a, a presentation skills training company, public speaking skills training company in Edinburgh. And he said... He says, you, you don't realise what you do, do you? And I said, what do you mean? And he says, well, you don't realise what you do and you don't realise that other people can't do what you do because you just think everyone does what you do. And I said, well, I kind of get what you're saying. And he says, but do you realise what you do? And at that point, I didn't really realise what what I could do. I realised that I could speak really well and really easily and with a real flow and give me a microphone in front of a crowd and it was just something that I could innately have an instinctual ability just to go and do and he said do you understand that you could share that knowledge with others and I said I suppose I could and he says well I run a training company in Edinburgh would you come up and, and would you come through and work for me so I went and worked um, on a freelance basis for him for a number of months and although I enjoyed it it really opened my eyes to how I would do things mm. in terms of my approach to helping people speak better and his was very corporate focused in terms of how do you help business people really hold a room, how do you help them structure a presentation, how do you help them move with authority and I believed in a lot of what what he, he encouraged and what he taught but I just thought to myself I'd do it a wee bit yeah, different, yeah. in fact I would do it very But I guess if you hadn't really been thinking about how you do it that when you start to think like how yeah. do I actually, like, yeah. when I break this down what do I do on a day to day basis in my job, uh-huh. you probably would have seen it differently from what they were Absolutely. doing there. And and what I what I what I came to the conclusion is is that you have to I suppose understand a number of really good a really important things if you're going to speak well. And before we this interview, we were having a, a chat before we switched the mic on about the importance of if you are performing, being yourself, and that's at the absolute root the absolute root of what I help people understand that if you're going to be a good communicator or a better communicator or open your understanding of what you can be in terms of how you communicate you one you need to be yourself but two you need to understand that the lifestyle you're living has a strong impact on how you perform daily Um, and I try and help people understand that if they open themselves up to that they can they can perform and communicate and present with a bit more of an open mind and yeah. with a bit more thought into mm-hmm. how they do it but primarily it's it's the training that I encourage is, is all about helping the individual understand that 
the best rep representation of their true self will be what works. So that's what kind of led me into um, training. And uh, if you were to pick one thing, apart from obviously being yourself, if there's one element of your training that you would say is paramount when public speaking, is there something you can... Uh, a, I think, a nugget? Uh, uh, well, I think a nugget would be... I would, I would have said it would have been being yourself, but I think what a nugget that I would I would give is that people, when they think about public speaking, think that there's a science behind it. Mm. They think that there's some sort of incredible technique that they, they need to learn. And they don't... What I do when I start my training is I will ask people who's a public speaker in the room, and very few folk will put their hands up. Mm. And then I'll ask, you know, one, two or three of them to stand up and count to five. And I'll just say, right, count to five, and I'll stand up. And then I'll sit down and say, right, can I ask who's a public speaker? And you can kind of slowly see them thinking about putting their hands up. And the the the, the learning in that, I suppose, is that everyone is a public speaker. Because yeah. we publicly speak in front of our families, in front of our friends, in front of groups. Um, and I suppose an understanding, if you are going to do it well, you do need to follow a structure. If you're speaking to, if you want to have a good conversation with someone, you need to think about what you're going to say. You need to think about, before I arrived here today, you sent me a set of questions. Mm. There's a structure and a purpose and a process and how you present your communication with me. So I have to have a structure, process and form and how I'm going to reply. Mm -hmm. And if I do it well with a bit of thought into how I respond, then it comes across a lot better. So if you are forming a conversation or you are delivering a presentation, you need to think about one, two, three, four, five. Public speaking and delivering information is as simple as that. Follow a wee process that allows you to say, right, how am I going to introduce myself? How am I going to tell the audience about what I'm going to say? Mm -hmm. How do I deliver a really good story? How do I think about closing it by reminding folk what I've just said? And then how do I close it by saying, here's what I want you to do now that you've heard what I've said? And that's really the structure in terms of delivering mm. information. Yeah. And then you can start looking about the, the dynamics of how you speak, how quickly you speak, the pause. Because people forget that when we deliver information, one of the most incredibly powerful things we can do is pause. And very few folk really focus on an understanding of the beautiful power of a pause. Because what pause, because what we do, what so many people uh, do is they just get consumed by speaking all the time really quickly and not having any form of pause. Pause is you're amazing. S- you're, you're spot on because it makes you stop and pay attention. <clears throat> Absolutely. And then, you, then you can look at things like when you're presenting and speaking about how you move, how do you move your body, do you mm. stand in the one position, where do you put your hands, how do you, how do you look, how do you connect everything and it's, it's a beautiful wonderful exceptional art but it, mm. it exists within acting it exists within dance it exists within um you know politics it exists within sport it, you know time and movement it's just a, a thorough understand of understanding of how we move speak and the energy we give off as human beings absolutely you know but actually starting to think about what's inside you, how how you can form it. Really think about it, yeah. rather than just shooting from the hip. I mean, I've only really been doing it properly for about a year and a half now. And okay. What you've got to do is you've got to establish clients and customers, mm. you've got to develop trust. What I do have is a number of folk now who I'm able to say, well, these are examples of folk that I've worked with who have really enjoyed it mm. and I've really got a lot from it. Um, one of the things I do is not only is to focus on providing the service for businesses, 
you've also got to give a bit as well. So I, I, I once or twice a month, I, I, I do a bit of free training for young people who require assistance with interview, uh, interview training skills. So there's a number of young people I've worked with who have had a, a pretty rough experience in school, don't have any understanding about how to perform at an interview or public speak. And I suppose when you, you deal with young people who've got a really, really difficult, awkward, negative perception of themselves and their their view in the world and their view in themselves, I mean, you can actually spend a bit of time and break down with them how simple public speaking is because everyone thinks it's a, a, an incredible art that they just can't approach. Mm-hmm. So you spend a lot of time, or, or a short period of time with, with kids in particular, who get a thorough understanding of public speaking is just a conversation and following a process mm-hmm. and doing it with a smile. And when you see them simply over a period of half an hour just clicking that and getting that, yeah. and I encourage people to dance with it. You know, dance. You know, dancing is a great, easy thing that we do that you really enjoy that expresses yourself. So I almost feel like you're, you're dancing when you're talking. Dance, enjoy it. And keep that little one, two, three, four, five in your head. What do you need to say when it's one? What do you need to do when it's two? So You're you obviously just giving them that confidence um, boost to be like, this is not, there's no There's no massive secret. Absolutely. You can do this. You, we just need to tap into who you are and how you're going to how you're going to put this together. What they need to understand, young people, is that it's dead simple. Mm. It's really, really simple because young people and adults as well are, affla- are, are afraid because they think it's complex, it's a science. It's, and a lot of people are really honed in on their perception of themselves and standing up in front of folk and, and speaking is a very, you know, the, the, the spotlight's right on mm. you. So there's a lot of people not talking. Yeah. engaging conversation because heads are in phones a lot. and as much as I love it you know love technology and it's obviously yeah. helped me right now I'm recording this podcast I think we can all be quite guilty of not talking absolutely and, and I think what we and need enjoying to good conversation can, like we are just now uh, you, you know you can recognize that Lisa mm-hmm. and if you recognize it what you have to do I think when you recognize it is do something about absolutely. it absolutely so you have to make time in your day with the people that are close to you I've come here today with a very good friend of mine Johnny who we spend a lot of time talking yeah we don't spend a lot of time when we're in each other's company on our phones we spend a lot of time mm-hmm. talking because nothing we, better we enjoy talking and there isn't and I think the more we promote that with one another Phones are fine and being online is, is cool, but it, it doesn't replace human interaction. When I provide my training in terms of helping people understand how to communicate better, one of the most important things I highlight is establishing a human connection with your audience. And that means using simple things like a person's name, getting to know who people are in mm-hmm. your audience. So rather than just talking to thin air, you're talking to people. Mm-hmm. Because conversation, if we don't converse with each other, then... We're, we're, we're in a very difficult place as a species and um, I, you know it's, it's amazing we talk about names it's something I think is absolutely crucial and when I speak with a lot of business people about they say to me how can I deliver my information with more impact and I'll say start using people's names mm-hmm. in the audience and I'll say what do you mean I say well for example when you um, when you go and receive your change from uh, Dorothy, the tell in Sainsbury's, and her badge says Dorothy. Say thanks, Dorothy, and watch her face. Or John gives <laughs> so you the. Uh-huh. When, when John gives you the change from your petrol counter. Um, and what's really interesting, I remember I, I was getting um, fuel from a place in Kirk and Tillock, and it was quite quiet. 
and uh, the wee lassie behind the counter. I can't remember. I can't remember her name, but I did mm-hmm. make the point of yeah. saying whatever. I think it was maybe Julia. Whatever it happened to be, I said thanks, Julie. I said, Julie, can I ask you, out of a hundred people, how many people react to your name um, on, your, on your name badge on your on your uh, shirt? And she said, maybe about two or three. I said, out of a hundred. I said, now how does it make you feel when, when someone says thanks, Julie? She says, oh, it's great. Mm. Who doesn't love their name? And I think there's there's so much power, incredible power, in just simply using someone's name. And I say it all the time. And, and one of the things that's that, that I think is hugely important, um, I think it's so, so important. If you are in a conversation or at an event and you're speaking, if you make what you're saying about them, if you make it about your audience, you don't. it doesn't have to be about you. No. Because when you make it about them, they think it's about you anyway because you're thinking this person taking the time to invest in me. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Whereas if you try and make it all about you, they just think, oh, shut up. It's not about it's about you. <laughs> I you know, I want you to know about me. Exactly. So invest your time in learning yeah. about other people, their names, what their interests are, what they what they do. People love it. But if there's anyone listening to this and there's anyone thinking about the importance of communication, make your communication a, a, a total investment in others and your, your, your communication will soar. Because you invest in others and you have an interest in others, you're just showing yourself to be in... There's a, there's a, there's a way of doing it because if you just do it smarmily, people will, people will suss it. Just You've really genuinely got to be interested in what other people are doing. Yeah. Um, and stop having a, an interest in ourselves is important. Johnny and I, who's with me today, were talking about that. Um, being invested in yourself is important. Taking care of yourself is really important. But you've got to have an investment in others. This world isn't just about me and, and my progress and what I can take from yeah. it. It's got to be about... No, um, you'll not get very far. Well, that's that's what you descri- what you would define as getting getting on in life or getting far. I guess could be very different. Well, they're probably very self- different to you and I, but uh-huh. to to a number of other people, our definition of getting very far is completely and utterly yeah. wildly different to a bit just where other people are at the stages in mm-hmm. their lives, isn't it? It's just that thing where you think that when you're on your deathbed, what's going to be important? You're like, well, actually, that. That's something yeah. to think about. What, yeah. what what do you place importance on in your everyday life? Absolutely. Yeah. If there were any hurdles that you personally have overcome when it comes to public speaking, or that any examples of those that you know you've trained, what would they be? Is there been a particular example where you thought? That? I think I think it, I think one of the things I would say, and I hope this relates to people just in their their, their, their general conversations, but when you are on a microphone or when you are talking to an audience, there are times when I started doing it. I remember when I took the leap from doing pretty much full-time DJing to presenting, I was asked to do a charity auction. Mm-hmm. Now, normally what I would do is I would be on a mic and I would be I would have a, a real structure to to what I was saying. So, Greg, go out and you know tell everyone that there's a particular thing happening on the night. So I would say, right, folks, just to make you aware that in half an hour we've got a particular aspect of the evening coming and don't forget this is what's going to be happening and blah, 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 blah. And it was a bit of, like that one, two, three, four, five, there was a mm. structure to what I had to say. And then someone asked me to do a charity auction and I thought, well, I'd love to do it. It's an interesting thing to do. I'll just go and do it. Mm-hmm. And I totally, utterly, utterly fell on my ass. Because it was just something so new to me. Mm. Um, so, but what you've got to do sometimes is you've just got to go and do it. 
you've just got to go and fail. I remember uh, my friend in Edinburgh asked me to go and he was organising a, a comedy night and he said, will you just come and do it? I said, oh, I might as well. And again, sometimes you've just got to put yourself in a position whereby you can maybe busk your way through it, but you learn a lot. And taking the actual energy and you know throwing away the fear and just doing it enables you now to learn a lot from it. So the beauty of you know failing at that charity auction, failing, I didn't really fail at the comedy night, I done all right, it was just new to me. And <laughs> um, I thought it's not just, it's not really what I wanna do, but the, the message and what I learned was that if you're hit with an obstacle, Sometimes you've got to fail to, sometimes you have got to just take it on the chin and move on. And I, I would encourage people to understand, I suppose, that a lot of the fear they have in overcoming stuff is in their head. Yeah. You know, the the, the, the main things that um, are presented to you probably aren't going to happen. Yeah. No, you tell yeah. yourself a story. This is, this is how it's going to be and this is what's going to happen. The worst case scenario, it's going to be terrible and I'm just going to make a big mess of it. Aye, and <laughs> inevitably the worst case scenario doesn't, it doesn't happen. No. But it's, it takes a lot for people to just take that leap of faith to go and do something. It's a, mm. it's a big thing to do and we, we can't decry or um, we can't you know, say folk aren't brave because they're not doing it. They're just not no. in the right place at that time to take that, that leap to do it. Then hopefully will come a time when they do it but I suppose my obstacles I think what you've got to learn as well is that when you have obstacles in life I've had a number of one in particular serious obstacle I had over the past few years and sometimes you just think this is never going to pass mm-hmm. and you know what obstacles pain difficulty challenges pass they pass what I think what you've got to do what I would encourage anyone not to do when they are presented with real difficult challenges and trauma in their life. I hope this isn't getting too deep, but I think, I think when Not real trauma, real challenges come into someone's life, don't numb it, don't numb it with booze, mm-hmm. don't numb it with cigarettes, don't numb it with drugs, don't numb it with pornography or junk food, don't numb it. Sometimes experiencing brutal pain is very very helpful and I think we live in a society right now where people just want glory passion beauty wonder and fun and sometimes pain and the understanding and experience of true pain is a really really important um, thing for folk to get through it really really is and I think how we respond and how we deal with really painful moments in our life are very very important and I would say Sometimes, for me personally, getting through the pain without any stimulation, just experiencing brutal, raw pain, can sometimes be the most the most uh, therapeutic thing that will mm. get you through it. I think just further to that, though, I would really encourage people that if they are presented with difficulties, our responses to them are really important. And if we respond by, uh, you know, sometimes these things create more trauma mm-hmm. in our lives and yeah. dealing with trauma pain on its own is difficult enough and you will get through it it just takes time for yeah. me it was two and a half year mm-hmm. two and a half year yeah. where I had to go to huge events like the kilt walk and I had to I had to perform and I was in so much pain but you, you, it's that old 
it's the, the old thing they have in the theatre with the two faces, you know, the smile, but behind it there's the, yeah. you yeah, know. You switch on. And the, it's what you have to do yeah. if you're in the events yeah. industry. You, mm-hmm. No matter, no matter what you're experiencing, the people who are in front of you, they want to entertain. Yeah. They want to I smile. I mean, even, you know, down to like someone who's a teacher who has to go to school and stand up in front of a class all day and could have all matter of things going on in their life. They, you're essentially putting on a performance, you are presenting and you have to have this demeanour of I'm in charge and everything's fine and it's all good. Yeah. And it probably isn't all of the time. Well, it's funny because just on, on another um, on another uh, subject, Johnny, my friend who's with me today, and I were having that exact conversation that we believe, and I was speaking to my accountant about this exact thing this morning about putting on a face. And what, <laughs> For Jan, you didn't even have to do your taxes oh, on. Oh, I was laughing, putting on a face, all right. Uh, and uh, we were sharing our experiences. And Johnny and I have been talking a lot recently about, I have this belief that 80% some people, some people might think this is mad, but I think eighty percent of the adult population are struggling, emotionally, mentally, physically. I think a lot of people, a, a, a far greater number than we could ever imagine, are in absolute turmoil right mm-hmm. now. Absolute turmoil. Now I've experienced that. I've been through it. I, I can have a full understanding, and I've managed to get through. But I think the masses are in real. Emotional turmoil. The modern world is oh, difficult to navigate. Absolutely, and I think an understanding of that is is really really important. Not just whether it be financially, mentally. Yeah, I think and I guess then you go back to the, the the idea of conversing with people, like just talking. When you make that connection, that human connection, and you know that you're going through something, might be completely different to me. Then we have that connection with each other. We can understand that we're both in the same boat. That you're not on your own, mm. and that you, you know, everybody else is having this jolly time, and you're having this terrible time. I'm standing in front of ten thousand people in Glasgow Green, at Scotland's biggest, one of Scotland's biggest events, on the mic, in front of ten thousand people, and I have to for an hour and a half entertain. 10,000 people. Now, they're not all... That 10,000 people isn't all there for an hour and a half. There's a progression of hmm. people coming and going. But I have the responsibility of making these people's days start brilliantly, beautifully, with a smile, being so encouraged, so uplifted to undertake 26 miles of, you know, difficulty mm-hmm. on a day. And I've got to be on the ball. And everyone's looking at me, and I'm this happy, gregarious, fun, laughable you know, human picture of joy. But behind it, on that day, I was experiencing trauma that, that no one, well, I, I know a lot of people will, you know, relate to trauma and difficulty and sadness. I was experiencing the biggest level of trauma and sadness. And if that's what people are looking towards me, mm-hmm. what am I looking at people who are having a great life? Mm-hmm. I think I, that's why I firmly believe Having the strength to admit it yeah. is is where we really... Mm-hmm. And I think we're get, we're, we are getting somewhere. Society's doing better about talking. And obviously, particularly you know with males and rate of male suicides and whatnot yeah. in this country, um, I think we are getting better. But there's women so much more work to be done. Lisa. Women are great at mm. it. Because women, you know, women also are very, very brilliant at supporting one another. In a way that men have got to... 
men can as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, what I've learned through my friendship with Johnny is that we can support each other. Of course. We can openly talk because we don't go out and get bevy. We, we don't, you know, mask our lives with stuff that isn't true. We're taught, and, and I'm interested in helping other men understand that that's a, that's a really, really progressive, happy, good way to, if we start having a, a stronger understanding of how women openly communicate with each other mm-hmm. and we start doing it because men have the ability to do it we oh, I, yeah. I have I have a number of really close friends now who I speak really open openly and really emotionally with yeah I, I, and I am it's probably been the the most brilliant thing that's happened to me in my life cultivating friendships with men where you can openly emotionally share your feelings mm-hmm. you know and you'll be then inspiring them to do the same. So if you're open and you're an open book and say, this is me. Well, I think what, what you do when you do that is you start attracting people who are who feel very similar mm-hmm. like you. And I think you don't want to be cruel and cutting and say, judge a man by the company he keeps. But there is, there is a good bit of truth in that. Because if you keep the company of other men who are interested in your soul, interested in your heart, interested in your being, then you're going to attract... And that's really what people. true friendship is about. Of course it is. Like taking you, warts and all, Absolutely. as you are, your highs and your lows, and being there for you and listening and offering advice or, or just a, just an ear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? just But then we live in a culture that's just like, go, go, go! Busy, busy, busy. Because it's a consumer-led world that we're encouraged to be so quick and fast so that yep. we can consume, 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 rather than just be, you know considered of what we have rather than think we yeah. consume and in terms of your fabulous community work which I've been privy to on social media mm-hmm. not in real life yet I yeah. will need to come and visit you Milton or Campsie yeah. what's been going on there? That, I mean that's one of the, the huge passions I have and mm-hmm. I, I think I've got to be careful sometimes that I don't actually allow it to overtake and take over my whole life but um, ever since I was a wee boy I've always been really really <laughs> interested in in, in improving the community that I live in. I remember I was, I've got an old photo of me and my dad. My dad campaigned for a, a bus in Hill Park mm-hmm. to help the old folk get from Hill Park to Shawlands to do a better shop because the shops were cheaper there. And He managed oh, to yeah. do it. And there's a wee photo of me with my dad and everyone that was going on the bus and I've got my hand in almost like a Shiga Barra pose. <laughs> right in the middle, five years old. That's awesome. I, and then I remember when I lived in Old House, I would regularly, like 11, 12 years old, Organise uh, clean up days in the street where we would get the brushes out and clean I up would, the street. I was your pal, that was me. Aye? Aye, oh I. Yep, Captain Planet. I was right in the Captain Planet at one well, point. I just, <laughs> I, I just absolutely <laughs> loved doing that stuff. And then as I got a bit older, and, and then when I, I got in a party and when I was a teenager and you have a family and all the rest of it. Um, but I suppose what, what um, kicked off was that. Johnny and I live in a, a village just outside Glasgow called Milton Campsie and in 2014 there were, there were a number of um, really negative things happening within Milton Campsie and um, one of the the things I was really aware of was that I had two, two boys and I grew up, a lot. my boys grew up with a lot of the young guys in the village and um, there was just some negative, I don't want to really focus on what happened it's mm. better to focus on what came as a result of, of it there's just some negative things happening I remember I was out um, I was out on a Sunday morning with my dogs and I took them down the old railway station which was a huge 
it was probably the heartbeat of the village before it closed in 1967-68 as a result of all the suburban railway stations in Britain being closed because they were concentrating on cars and roads. Mm. Anyway, this old railway station had just been dilapidated and was used a lot of the time historically over the years, just a bit of a drinking down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mild in terms of, in terms of what it was. Um, and it was an area where there could be... Um, violence and gang fights and there could be trouble yeah so there was that combined with it was it wasn't the it wasn't the most attractive part of the village and there was some negative stuff happening in, in the village as well and i thought i'm going to try and do something rather than just hearing people moan about what's i thought i'm going to try and do something so in march of 2014 i i got a big bit of uh, plastic um material and i got a paintbrush and i just simply wrote clean up 10 a.m. this Saturday, and I put it on the most visual wall uh, in Mount Lacansey where all the cars would pass. And I remember that Saturday, 40 folk turned up. Oh my goodness, Aye. that's fabulous! 40 folk turned up. Anyway, to cut a long story short, we over a period of 14 months we removed about 14 skips worth of wow, uh, broken glass, old wood, and what what we very clearly had a focus on doing was there was absolutely no point in encouraging without being rude to middle class folk it wasn't about getting wealthy folk down to alleviate their consciences to improve their community what we had to do to make this a success was get the widows who were hanging out at the station helping now we have absolute proof by photo and by testimony from the young people they they took a very strong part in relaying the slabs, removing the glass. And as a result, five years on, no graffiti and it still remains a community hub for the village. Um, and there were so many beautiful stories that, that have came from that one project. But the long and the short of it was we identified a really, really important area within our village that had been decimated over the years. And we took it from a place of unattractiveness to a place of peace, joy and beauty that the community could really enjoy. Last year we we um, strengthened the project and took it from the railway station and moved into the park and we took an area of the park which is just beyond the railway station which again for many years had been used as a drinking den and we turned it into a woodland walk where we had a fairy telling stories to the children at the world's first ever barefoot Kelly in the park where 1,500 people turned up and experienced beauty, wonderful, wonderful joy, dancing barefoot in the grass with the worms coming up through their toes and everything, (laughs) everything was free of charge. Fantastic. Free, no corporate sponsorship and we, my good friends from Clanadonia, the boys. Yes, uh, they're brown. My good friends from Clanadonia done us a huge favour by turning up and opening the Barefoot Cayley under a tree. And actually, Tubar, who's the the uh, leader of Clan Adonia, looked in his absolute element as he was in his old Scottish regalia, standing under a tree in the middle of a park yeah. in beautiful Scotland, playing his tribal drums. And then at three o'clock, leading you know, over 200 children down a fa- enchanted fairy walk, playing the drums under a tree with Robert the Bruce and his queen introducing the fairy from behind tartan curtains on a a wooden stage made by a joiner who done it for you. Everything 
was given free, was promoted free, no money involved, which meant nobody had any interest in profit, which Mm -hmm. meant everyone gave everything from their heart and wholly their heart. And we, I utterly believe, we as a village created, I believe, the best ever event in Scotland. I utterly believe that. Mm -hmm. Now, other people say, no, it was Transmit last year, it was Tina Park. We created the best, 100% in my mind. And I've got so many people that would say the same, Mm because all you need to do is actually go onto Facebook, Mm -hmm. search Barefoot Cayley, and look at the reviews. Look at the reviews. I believe you. (laughs) I believe you wholeheartedly. Because I utterly believe it. Yeah, Yeah, you were there, you experienced it, and, and you saw everyone's... Faces and the the joy. Well, the beauty of it, Lisa, was that it was it was outdoor. Yeah. It, it was on a park. It was, and actually, Tubar from Clanadonia was getting married two or three months later. And his fiance came up to me and said, "Why couldn't we have done this for our wedding?" And I thought, "What a great idea! Yeah. Outdoor park weddings with a Kelly band in the summer, done. few gazebos. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Dancing outside on the grass, mm-hmm. grannies and granddads." Dancing with our grandchildren barefoot in the grass, the Scottish traditional music with a beautiful atmosphere. It's amazing what you can do with half an hour, a couple of rakes and a spade, and a bit of. Mm. A bit and of it just shows you you're putting that out, that initial sign that 40 other people were like. People want to do it. Yeah, people they do. Want. It just needed somebody to go, let's do this. Absolutely. One, and that was the catalyst. That's it. Yeah. And um, as a result now, what we want to do in Milton the Camps here, because we've got plans for things we're going to mm-hmm. do this year, but what we want to do is we want to create, if we'd have put on a barefoot Cayley and called it a gala day, a lot of folk wouldn't have turned up because people experience gala days every year. Scotland has a tradition, which is great, mm. of gala days, but if you want to do something different, you want to grab people's attention, you need to do something different, you need to do a barefoot Cayley. Yeah. So, so what we're doing now in Milton the Camps here is we are uh, creating, hopefully, the world's best outdoor free kids play area. Yeah. And uh, a bit of hillside at the park where we're going to clear out. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to create an area where kids and their parents, let's okay. not forget, kids should be playing with their parents. So we're going to encourage an area whereby parents can come and play with their kids in trees, in mud, get dirty, yeah. roll about and have a laugh. Because that's what kids and parents should be doing. Yeah. And if people argue otherwise, then fair news, but that's what I believe. That's what I used to do with my kids. We mm. used to go out, get bogging, jump about the trees, play on swings, fall in rivers. And very sadly, that whole that whole approach to life is seems to be, um, again, getting lower and lower and mm. lower. So I'd like to, along with my friends and the folk that volunteer with me, create a place where people can laugh, play on swings, have little signs on the trees that tell you what this tree is. Because we live in a we live in a culture right now where people can tell you what kind of car is in the drive, but we look at our forests and think, I don't know what trees are. So true. I don't know what that, that I don't know how much oxygen it emits or what it mm. uh, I mean my my son he was telling us trees emit water that you can drink. You can do tree tapping. Well, you tap wow. trees and you can drink the the, the, the sap and the, it's amazingly good for you. And yeah. So there's just great things that I believe yeah. we should looking be doing. Looking what's, what's around you. Hi. Yeah, what's out your, just out your but back not door. Only, not only look at what's around you, but do something with it. Yeah. You know, create yeah. a bit of action. Don't just think what's around me. Mm-hmm. Look at something and say, the next time you're going along the street, you see a wee teeny bit of 
area that the council used to maintain and put flowers in it, it would take 20 minutes probably to dig it up, put some flowers in it, go and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, because someone will, someone will really, really, really appreciate it. So I suppose the community side of things is, is a hobby, but it's a, it's, it's a very enjoyable. I was going uh, to say, oh, it clearly enriches your life, oh. which will make you a better speaker. <laughs> like, it just if you're doing something in your life that's fulfilling, that's just... For the for doing that and for the community and for other people, not just for yourself, that's going. But, to... Aye, it's not about blowing a trumpet and saying this no. is. It's about understanding that people get a lot from it, and people really enjoy living in a community where things are happening. Di- creative, different, new things as well. Mm. Right? You know, make them new, make them different, make them interesting, make them, and more importantly, make them fun. People love. There's nothing better than the sound of laughter. Nothing better than folk laughing because it's true it's free it's enjoyable and um, and we'll hopefully with the will of God just uh, keep going keep doing it and keep uh, keep improving our community firstly and maybe in time inspiring, inspiring others to do the same well just listening to you now I'm like what can I do in my local community because I'm sure there's people in the street that I embarrassingly probably haven't spoke to in about a year Everyone's the same, yeah. and it's mm. not. Everyone's just what again. Our time's so consumed by busyness. Mm. Taking time, to just say hello. Yeah, you know the simple wee things. Say hello and do a wee thing that's that's going to help. When it's all with it's with within us all. We're, as humans, we're all we're all good people. By by nature, we're all good people. So if we can just promote that in each other and uh, find it in each other, then things will get better. What a lovely way to finish a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for doing this. No bother. I really appreciate really it. Enjoy it. So this is just totally randoms. Right. This okay. is just to tap into who, who Greg Summers really okay, is. Okay. <laughs> so you get an, another email we'll find out <laughs> an, an evil genius that talks nonsense. It's all an act. It's all an act. I'm a good salesman. Don't believe a word of it. <laughs> Which song do you know every single word to? Uh, Rapper's Delight um, <laughs> by the Sugar Hill Gang is closely my joint favourite song and my other favourite song is Tinsel Town in the Rain by the Blue Nile. I think both songs are very, very different but are classics of their time, absolutely timeless. The Sugar Hill Gang creating a song when hip-hop was hip-hop, when it was proper fun it was about the street. It wasn't about guys cutting about with guns, selling drugs, shooting each other. It was fun, mm-hmm. proper, beautiful, wonderful hip hop, old school as it should be. And Tinsel Town in the Rain by the Blue Nile, uh, early eighties, just a, a song that was twenty years ahead of its time, written by Paul Buchanan, who is an absolute genius. I remember just going on to what you were saying about talking to people. I remember walking through the, the West End of Glasgow. And Paul Buchanan was walking towards me, <laughs> uh, just up from Byers Road. And I thought, I'm going to stop him. So I just stopped him and I said, Paul, don't know how often you get this, but Tinsel Town in the Rain is the most beautiful song I have ever, ever heard in my life. And thank you for writing it. And he was almost in the Virgin Green. Aww. Almost in the Virgin Green. Funnily enough, James Grant from Love and Money, who wrote another beautiful Scottish song called Lips Like Ether, mm-hmm. which is one of the songs I fell in love to when I met Barbara, because it's such a wonderful, beautiful song. Um, I seen him in uh, Sucky Hall Street, and I thought, that was really good, what I'd done with um, 
with Paul Buchanan from uh-huh. Blue Note. I'm going to do the same thing to James Grant. <laughs> and I walked up to James Grant. I was like, James. And he was like, he walked away from me as if it was some sort of weirdo. I was like, well, James, come back. I want to tell you my lips later. He was like putting his hand up, like, get away from me, you weirdo. I was like, no, I just want to tell you how much I love the song and I'm like, it's amazing. How, uh, it's amazing how you can say the same thing to people at different times and one can take it beautifully and the other one can think they're pure bamper. So, uh, but that, that's. Um, those two songs, I know the worst. <laughs> but having DJed for for loads and loads of years, you get into a lot of a lot of songs. Well, that's what I think. I'm like, words. you'll know the words. But those two, uh, rappers delight and Tinsel Town the rain. Um, which fictitious award ceremony would you want to host? Uh, I would probably want to. That's a good question. Uh, I'd probably want to present um, uh, an award at the world's best. Uh, the world's best and most creative community enhancement awards whereby people could be nominated for the bizarre, crazy, wonderful, beautiful things they're doing within their community that have had an incredible impression on the lives of those who live within that community. So that's the award sentiment I don't think exists that I think could exist and would be pretty, probably pretty successful mm-hmm. and I'd love to host what would you say is your life's motto or life's mantra? I think that your life's mottos and mantras probably change at different stages through mm-hmm. your life. I think that probably what it would be today to what it would be when I was 20 would be very, very different. And I think right now my mantra would be understand that change is inevitable and experience the pain that will inevitably, hopefully lead to light. Thank you so much, Greg. Lisa, it's been a super. pleasure. Loved and, it. Um, I just want to say good luck with The Bra and the Brave. I think it's a wonderful title for a podcast. And I, I hope that, it, I'm sure it will, echo from strength. That's very kind. Thank, Thank you very, very much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.